0: Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information, and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Monday, June 5th, we're studying Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 to 19. In today's text, the seventh angel blows his trumpet, And a heavenly chorus sings praise to the Lord God Almighty who reigns over all. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Andrew Jago. Pastor Jago serves at Bethany Lutheran Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Pastor Jago, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you. Good to be here. So we get started today. Pastor Jago, talk to us a little bit about the book of Revelation in general. How should we approach it as Christians? Why do you think it is a helpful and useful book for us?
1: Oh, goodness. The last book of the Bible, you need the rest of the Bible in order to understand it. Uh, it's written symbolically, so all these images are meant to come into our minds, into our imaginations, and how do we understand these images? Uh, a lot of modern commentators will, will take a look at what's happening now, uh, take a look at the, the, the news and the world around us, and say, oh, that's what these symbols mean, and no. <laughs> John wrote this very purposefully for us to, to with with readers that may have first understood all these images from the Old Testament and even some of the New Testament and uh, some various legends as well. maybe some of the Apocrypha, the the writings in between the two Testaments. Uh, so apocalypse, uh, revelation. it's like a it's like a revealing like you, you have a, a veil over something and you lift up the veil and now you can see something very clearly this, message was given to John and as you've as people have probably said in the show you know there's there's always been an argument about you know is this John who wrote the gospel in three letters or is this a different John and uh, I I go with the John that has written the gospel in three letters because I just see so many connections in, in in revelation to the the light and dark to Jesus the good shepherd there's just so many images that are there that John likes to use in his writings, so why not? Uh, to me, that just makes sense. Um, so Revelation is for the church in every age, but at the beginning, we hear this. There's a specific message to seven churches in Ephesus, again, written with all these symbols, but but it was, hang in there, don't give up. And isn't that a message that we need to hear today, too? Yeah. Uh, that's at the very beginning. At the very end, there's the, the, the description of Jesus coming again in glory, the great wedding feast of the Lamb, and the kingdom that has no end. And in between those two are these, this revelation, this revealing of, of the activity of Christ between his ascension and, and, his, and that second coming. And that's revealed through uh, three seven—the numbers are very important in Revelation too. but there's three sevenfold visions— Uh, There's seven, it begins with seven uh, 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 seals that are broken, and then seven trumpets sound, and then seven bowls are poured out. Um, So the 777, and and it's, it's, again, the message to the church then and the church today, don't give up. God's got this all under his control. This is all part of the plan. Uh, so no matter how dark things get, there is going to be that light at the end. To use those images that John likes to use, mm. so you know it's a it's something that is very very fruitful and good for Christians to look at. But you got to do your homework. Right. <laughs> there's just no there's no way around that. You got in order to really unpack what's going on here and not to get led astray, uh, looking at this that and the other. That you got to do your homework and use all those cross references and. And look back at the at the scripture that that this connects to. That's So right. in the in the text that we have today, this is uh, the, the, the we're in this, the the end of the second sequence, the seven the second sevenfold vision. And unlike the previous trumpets, when they sound, man, some bad stuff happens. Yeah. There's some natural disasters. There's some spooky supernatural stuff. <laughs> this is, my favorite was the gigantic demon locusts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they make an appearance, you know. Uh, so this one is a little different. All of a sudden, when it, there's, and there's a connection here too. Well, well, I guess we could get into that a little bit later. But when this trumpet sounds, it's getting clo- getting us close to that day uh, that, that Jesus comes again, the end of the story, if you will, the the triumph, the final victory. Uh, and so there's there's a lot of that. This is like the beginning of that. When this trumpet sounds, and that's very exciting. Mm.
0: So, I mean, with that, just to kind of give a preview here of the seventh trumpet, do you do you see the seventh trumpet as a description of the end, or getting close to the end, but not quite? I, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about this with the seals. The sixth seal seems to be a, a picture of Judgment Day and the great dread that will fall upon, especially unbelievers in that day. I think as I look at what we're going to see here in the seventh seal, it soo- or, no, seventh trumpet, sorry, in the seventh trumpet, it sounds a lot like things I would expect to, to hear on judgment day. And yet there does seem to be something that's, it leaves you like, as I read it and knowing there's more coming, but you, you kind of sense that this isn't the end of revelation yet, that there is more to mm-hmm. come. So I don't, are, what how, what's your take in general on the seventh seal?
1: I, I think these three sevenfold visions go through the cycle from beginning to end, or at least from Christ's ascension until the end. Um, so it's like we get we go through the cycle once to the seals, and then we go through it with the trumpets. We get right there, but now we're going to pull back again and then go through another cycle before we, we really describe all the the glory and the triumph of yeah. our Lord.
0: Yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, it does—yeah,
0: so I think I think in that sense, we are going to see a picture of the end here, and yet, just by the way it's written and the things that you don't hear yet, you know that there needs to be more description given. Or it leaves it leaves you wanting to keep reading, to, to want to go into the, you know. And we won't get that next cycle of seven just yet in chapter 12. That'll come a little bit later. But it does, it's going to leave you wanting more. I am curious if you have any thoughts about the the vision or the seventh trumpet in terms of the three woes that have been described As as you said, chapter 9 was very vivid in the way that it described trumpets 5 and 6. And those were described as, you know, we had the the first woe passed in the middle of chapter 9. That was after the demon locusts. And then the sixth angel blows his trumpet, and really the rest of 9. And then you have a bit of an interlude into 10 and 11 before you find out, just before our text, that the second woe has passed, but the third woe is soon to come. And as far as I can tell in the rest of the book of Revelation, it never elsewhere says that the third woe has passed. Hmm. So, I mean, is, do you think that what we're going to read is a part of the third woe? Is it separate from the woes? I don't know that I have the answer to that,
1: but I'm, I'm curious your, your thoughts. And I'm comforted because I wrestled with that. <laughs> I was like, where did it go? Yeah. <laughs> there's there's this there's okay, that woe is pretty good. I guess the second one was connected to the two witnesses in the interlude. Um or was connected to that, that last trumpet. But then it's okay, now we're now the third woe is upon us. And I'm not sure if this is it, or if we, this was referring to if all of a sudden we gotta connect now to the end where you know, the, with all the beasts and everything, you know. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um uh, so yeah, that that I so that's my best answer. So okay. I don't know. Okay. Well, I don't
0: know. I'm not sure either. The, as I was as I was thinking about it just a, a little bit, we mm-hmm. talked about how the trumpets in particular seem to connect pretty closely in, in places to the ten plagues, mm-hmm. and we talked about how the early trumpets they seem somewhat to affect all the earth in a sense that the like the first couple of plagues in Egypt affected both Egypt and Israel. But then when you get especially to the ones that are called woes, trumpets five and six, those seem to affect the unbelieving world much more than the Christians. And so I guess just trying, if if there is that kind of a sequence going on, and if we're supposed to understand this as some part of the third woe, then I wonder, again, this seems to be very comforting to Christians, what we're about to read. Perhaps that's perhaps that's maybe the connection, is that we're going to see something that's comforting to Christians, but the return of the Lord for the unbelieving world, that is a, a great woe for them, which we've seen at various points in the book of Revelation. That's, that's kind of the best that I can do.
1: That helps me a lot, so thank you. Okay. <laughs> that, uh, I think, and with that, then, you know, with the text that we're going to get into, the final taking of all the authority uh, that, that Christ receives the kingdom, Uh, That's what this trumpet's all about, and I think that that, that that is a woe to the world. But wow, what a great comfort to those of us who are waiting for that moment.
0: All right, let's go ahead and take a look at this text then. This is Revelation chapter 11, beginning at verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was, excuse me, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, and your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and earthquake, and heavy hail. That's our text for today. That is Revelation 11, verses 15 to 19. Uh, Remind us a little bit about trumpets, Pastor Jago. It's been a while since we've actually heard one sound. The last one was back in chapter 9, so remind us a little bit about the trumpets that we're hearing.
1: Uh, I was thinking back Easter Sunday we heard it. A... <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but yeah, it's it's been a while. Uh, it's It's been a minute, as they say. Uh, it's been a couple chapters here in Revelation. Uh, so we had, a, a, just like with the seals, there's there's an interlude. Uh, that happens. So in the seals, right before the seventh seal is open, there's an interlude that takes us to heaven and to the, the, the Lamb being surrounded by the elders and the beasts and, and praises being sung uh, in the, it, what uh, Louis Brighton in his commentary calls the great Te Deum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that uh, just like in, in that sequence, there's an interlude here. The sixth seal is opened, and then there's a pause. Uh, and and uh, or, or the sixth trumpet is sounded, and then there's a there's an interlude. This time it's twofold, and it's more on earth, I think, than in heaven. Uh, between the great gigantic angel that comes down with the message to proclaim, and the two witnesses uh, that follow. It's the proclamation, I think, is of the word is the theme there. But then you get to this now. Now after that sequence, we get to the seventh trumpet. What's an interesting contrast? is uh the seventh trumpet blows and there's loud voices in heaven. Mm. when the seventh seal was opened there was silence and then the, the and at that same time the the trumpets are distributed <laughs> to the seven angels mm. uh they get ready you know and then one after another they blow their horns and now the last one blows and instead of silence it's the exact opposite you get this this loud noise blasting, uh to us here and then blasting to us in in this uh the last of the sequence Hmm.
0: so yeah i mean with the way that the trumpets got started in the opening of the seventh seal to hear loud noises now when the trumpets are concluding provides that nice contrast and it makes sense i mean we've been kind of enjoying or or hearing the sounds of the trumpets all along, and now with the sounding of the last one, to have loud noises, loud voices coming from heaven, makes a lot of sense. Especially in in the context, when we're talking about the reign of a king, the sounding of a trumpet and shouts of acclamation, I mean, these are things I think we would expect when we're talking about the the crowning of a king.
1: Yes, my connection, my brain goes to Solomon. Uh, first of all, Solomon's brother who tries to uh, put one over on the <laughs> on everybody by by having the trumpet sound and and everyone going for that coordination. But then uh, King David uh, gives the order, and Solomon is is the the trumpet blows for Solomon, and and then the kingdom goes on from there. Uh, but trumpets play a very important part of his ascension in, in, into being king, um, and also you know I I think of uh, the the connection to the last trumpet sounding it, we've we've heard about trumpets in the apostle paul in the great uh, uh, resurrection chapter 1 Corinthians 15 the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable uh, so that we're not we don't see dead well no we see the judgment of the dead here in this sequence but right. We are uh, uh, the, the, the great Resurrection, that's the, the trumpet is going to signal that. So we have both Old Testament and New Testament connections that connect us to the symbol of the trumpet here.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah I mean I, I was thinking it's, it's kind of I suppose this is uh, this maybe reveals more about me than, it, than I want, but I was thinking of in the in the school song for the University of Texas, the Eyes of Texas, it ends till Gabriel bo- it, it, till Gabriel blows his horn. Now I know it's not identified as Gabriel here. But that, that mm-hmm. sounding of the trumpet is associated with that last day. As you said, Paul gives it to us. And even with the crowning of the king, Solomon, and then as you and I are recording, we're right before Ascension Day, and the, the psalm for Ascension is Psalm 47. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. So even, even the crowning of God as king is associated with the sound of the trumpet. Here we're getting that last trumpet being blown, the crowning of God as king, overall, the shouts that are coming forth from heaven, and this is what they're saying. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Let's take the first part of that. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. I thought it was his already.
1: (laughs) That's a good point. It certainly is. The Lord, The earth is the Lord's and all that are in it, Psalm 24. Uh, this, this world, this cosmos, um, was corrupted. Uh, there, there, there was an order uh, to the world, but sin corrupted it back in Genesis 3. Uh, and with the fall, and it's interesting how in addition to this curse falling on Adam and Eve, the world is cursed as well. Uh, so everything out of order because of sin. Well, this is the day. This is the moment when all things get back, get put back, the way they, the, back into its proper order. Uh, and Paul writes also in that great resurrection chapter that at the end Christ takes all the authority. Uh, all authority is given to now. Is he there at God's right hand right now? Yes. Uh, but there will be that moment in time when there will be no doubt who's in control. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. Uh, And and it'll be open and obvious that that our Lord has taken the kingdom, the power, and the glory.
0: Hmm. So we could relate this to what Jesus preaches throughout the Gospels, where he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or you might Mm -hmm. translate it, the reign of God is at hand, it stands near. When Jesus shows up he reigns as God, and he is reigning as God wherever he is. And in whatever he's doing, that's him reigning as God. But right now, we don't always see that fully. And so on the on the last day, here in the seventh trumpet, that's what we are seeing absolutely fully. There is no doubt that Jesus reigns as king. I mean, you, you brought up what Paul writes in First in Corinthians 15, In the book of Hebrews chapter 2, the writer there says, in putting everything in subjection to him, that is to Christ, God left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him, we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. So we don't see this reality now, but on the last day it becomes plainly evident, and all of heaven here is breaking forth into praise that Christ is the king over over everything.
1: Indeed. And again, he reigns now. I love how Paul writes in Colossians, the first chapter, that in Christ all things hold together. All things. That's that's the the order of creation, even now, is that Christ is holding us together. Uh, But that that final revealing, you know, the veil is going to be lifted. Yeah. uh and and we'll be able to see that and a, another connection another the, the symbol of Christ of, of the king taking authority taking the power goes back to Daniel I mean that's one of the major themes in Daniel is his Daniel telling the kings that reign Nebuchadnezzar Darius and so forth you're not the ones in control. Yeah. <laughs> this this kid the kingdom God lets you be where you are you know and this and there's there's a there's a plan at work that's going through there oh man there's another connection there too when Jesus says to Pontius Pilate you know if I wanted to all well, my servants would fight for me but that's this is not the hour uh, you know and Pilate must have been getting that growing sense that he's not really the one in control because uh, you know, John really reveals how he gets more more and more anxious as the trial goes on. Uh, so here you know, Daniel chapter seven, you know there's there's uh, uh, he sees in the night visions, the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. Isn't it interesting how Jesus uses that phrase all throughout his ministry? He came to to the ancient of days and was presented before him to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom. So here we have some Trinitarian uh theology. you know the son comes to the ancient of days, the Father, The Father gives the Son the kingdom, all authority and power. His dominion is an ever—this is all peoples, nations, languages serving Him. That's just what's in our text here for today. And at the the very end of this verse as well, uh, His dominion is forever. It will not pass away. His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. So that vision that Daniel saw, I think, connects right to this seventh trumpet, and the taking of all earthly authority by Christ the King. Mm.
0: Yeah, and I think this is where we start to see the, the comfort for us as the Church today, because it, as we've been saying, Christ is reigning right now. He has ascended and sits at God's right hand, but we don't always see it. And to have, to have this vision put in front of us by the Apostle John to show us the, the curtain pulled back and, and the reality that we will see on the last day gives us great comfort. Now to know that Christ is reigning, I don't know if you've ever seen those. There's, there's, they're on T-shirts and you see them on memes on the internet. But it says like, "Keep calm and blank" or or whatever, right? Keep calm and remember your baptism as a Christian one. Right? <laughs> I I think when it comes to to this, is this is a good one. Keep calm and remember Jesus reigns. Keep calm and remember that Jesus is ascended. Keep calm. And remember that that Jesus will return, and he will take all that authority. It will be seen that it belongs to him. I think this is a great comfort to us as Christians living in a world in which it seems that any other number of powers are ruling or reigning, to know that Christ reigns over it all, that's a beautiful
1: comfort to us. Agreed. And what we think of as power, what we think of as you know what's important in this life people who have money social media influence you know uh, uh, our political authority no that's not that's that's not in gut, it, that's not what where the real power lies uh the real power lies when we are kneeling at the altar and receiving our christ in the body and blood the power lies when our songs are joining with that heavenly choir uh, the real power lies when we're singing our our songs of praise uh, and, and looking forward to that day, getting through whatever <laughs> junk we got to go through right now, uh, in order to, to and, and doing that, getting out of bed every morning and, and taking the next step and going, you know, and, and facing these trials uh, because we know how the story ends.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I think, I think that connects to the interlude that we were talking about in chapter 10, that mighty angel who, who I mean, I think, you know, you, you see him, he gives that scroll to John. And we talked about how the, you know it's, it's both bitter and it's sweet, and that proclamation of the word of God, that is truly the majestic thing that is over all the earth. And, and I mean, so I think that connects. And then with the two witnesses in chapter 11, how you know they've got this fire pouring forth from their mouth, it is the word of God that is the power. And even when the world kills them and begins to rejoice over their seeming death, yet the Lord raises them, and, and he, he shows where his power comes from, and it isn't found in those places that the world's not looking to, but, but we do as Christians, and we see those with the eyes of faith right now, that in the word and the sacraments, Christ reigns over us, and he reigns as our good and gracious king, just the one that we need. Here on the last day, we will see that fully. All heaven breaks forth in this joy, because, as the last part of that that first phrase says, he shall reign forever and ever. You and I were talking before we started recording that this is, this is Handel's Messiah right here.
1: Yes. And he shall reign. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now we got that in our heads for the yes. rest of the day. That's not a bad thing. No, it's not. That's not. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this
0: is a, that, that comes in the, in the hallelujah chorus, correct? As, mm-hmm. as a part of that piece. And so, I mean, it really is a, a moment of, of great joy to know that he shall reign forever and ever. And here's, maybe we can connect this to what we we were saying about the, the woes. Mm. This for Christians is not a woe, to know that Christ will reign forever and ever. And this really should be the desire of, of every living thing, of every creature that Christ would reign forever because no one else is fit to be our King, only he is. And so when we see him take all that authority and exercise it fully, This should be the great joy of of all living things. Amen. Amen. So this is the joy that comes with the blowing of the seventh trumpet by the seventh angel in Revelation chapter 11. We're going to keep talking about this vision on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Andy Jago this morning about Revelation 11. We will be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, June 5th. We're studying Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 to 19 with Pastor Andrew Jago. He serves at Bethany Lutheran Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Pastor Jago, prior to the break, we're talking about the blowing of the seventh trumpet. There are loud voices in heaven that shout for joy. That Christ reigns as King. He has taken all authority in heaven and on earth for himself. He reigns over all things. He reigns forever and ever. Now, from that moment, then, the 24 elders join in this chorus. They join in this uh, heavenly te deum, as you said earlier. Talk to us about the 24 elders. Remind us of of who they are, their significance of the number, all the, the things. It's been a while since we've seen these folks.
1: I guess so. Yeah, they're recurring characters. You know, they come up; yes. they, they're mentioned several times, and always connected with a song, songs that we should be fairly familiar with. They're regular uh, in our in our worship. Uh, uh, so, the 24 elders, uh, you know, they they appear uh, singing, "Worthy is the Lamb who was slain," in chapter four of Revelation. Right after the seven letters, there's another. There's like a an interlude, I suppose, that begins the seven, you know, it leads up to the, the the first sequence of seven, of the opening of the seven seals. Who is worthy to take these seals? Worthy is the lamb uh, to take and break the seals. The 24 elders help lead that song. Uh, and then they sing that also, praising the lamb in chapter five for ransoming uh, people from every tribe language and, and so forth but by the blood of the lamb. Uh, another important ascription of praise. In chapter seven, uh, the interlude between the sixth and seventh seals, uh, the elders are, it's a very long dominion, power, glory, honor. So it's a very long ascription of praise that they are leading in heaven. So, hey, we're singing again. It shouldn't be a surprise that the 24 elders are, are making an appearance. It's I just had a weird connection in my brain. Like it's kind of a Greek chorus, I suppose, but not for a tragedy <laughs> in order right. to, to, to have the, 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 the congregation, you know? Oh, and I think that's the connection there too. The, 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 church, the congregation. Um, so 12 is very significant in the old Testament, the 12 tribes, uh, the, the, the basis of the nation that, that, uh, uh, where the Messiah and the savior of the world is to come, uh, and then in the New Testament, the mission, the gospel going out because of the 12 apostles. 12 seems to be a very intentional number in the scriptures uh, for, for God to execute his plan of salvation. Um, so here I, I think, you know, because 12 occurs in both the Old and New Testaments, if you got two 12s, 24, uh, we, have, we have the combination of those two testimonies and the work of all the faithful. Uh, again, as those elders sang from every tribe, language, and 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 uh, and people and nation, uh, mm-hmm. just like that scene in Revelation seven as well. So,
0: um, well, just just to kind of piggyback on that for a second, then we should we should picture ourselves singing as a part of this chorus. Then <laughs> these twenty-four elders,
1: which we do. If you've ever sang, "This is the feast," yeah, right. <laughs> in worship, that's one of the songs that the elders sing, and. Uh, uh, yes definitely I did, uh, the, the, the singing Handel's Messiah he shall reign that's forever right. and ever you know that's that's another yes uh, that we should certainly anticipate uh, that, that that's a, that's the chorus that we will join in on
0: that's right that's right so they fall on their faces they're off they they were sitting on the thrones they fall on their faces before God now and they begin to worship and we get more of this heavenly Te Deum so we give thanks to you Lord God Almighty who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. I suppose a lot of a lot of what we see there is similar to what we heard already. One thing that does stand out to me here, and I'm curious on your thoughts, it says we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. It doesn't say who who is to come. Is to which come. Is the I way know was... you want to
1: finish that. <laughs> right.
0: So I'm. I mean, at least as, as I'm reading, I guess that kind of makes sense in this context because if, if we are talking about the last day here then he's come, and so you don't need to say right. <laughs> he, he is to come. That's the best I can figure. I'm not sure if there's another significance to that not being
1: said at this moment. No, no, that we're tracking along the same way. <laughs> I was thinking, well, there's just no more to come after. I mean, even though we were talking, there's some more to come in the book of Revelation, but I guess when we get to this moment, yeah, that's kind of it, the last trumpet sounding.
0: That's right. Okay, so so who was, who is and who was, and he has come, so that's not mentioned specifically at this section of the Te Deum for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Now, I I think, so, and this is maybe just a little bit of Trinitarian theology here. You know, we're, I think we're, we're singing to the Father. I mean, I guess we're speaking, we're singing to God as the triune God. Again, so he's, he as God, he has taken his power and begun to reign. Any more, I guess, comments on that from this verse to add to what we were saying earlier about verse 15?
1: um so god taking yeah i i I suppose you know because i i think it goes back to uh that first corinthians 15 chapter uh where you know paul uh, 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 the the word okay so let me just go back and read that i suppose then this is from chapter 15 paul writing in first corinthians 15 beginning with verse 24 then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to god the father That's that Trinitarian. uh, After destroying, the nations shall rage, right? So after destroying every rule, every authority, and every power, and I love this part of the verse, for he must reign. He must reign. That's, That's an inevitable part of God's design in this cosmos, in this world, is that Christ must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet, the last enemy to be st- destroyed is death. All things have been put in subjection under his feet. That connects to various Psalms as well. You know, it made your enemies a footstool. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's that, that, that you know, if you really want to get deep into that mystery, the next verse is really hard uh, to navigate through in, in 1 Corinthians 15. There's a whole lot of subjection going on. Where Paul tries to clarify that, yes, this is God the Father and God the Son. All things are, are, of course, in subjection to both of them. But this is, and then he tries to work it out. It probably confuses a lot of his readers, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we'll, we'll this stick
0: son, with Revelation then.
1: I think so. <laughs> you know, that's, that's when, when when I, I like how he ends that, though, that God may be all in all. So I say, thank you, Paul, yes. that's that's what I will take.
0: There you go. Yeah, no, that that's real helpful. Yeah, that God may yeah. be all in all. And I think that, that fits in perfectly with what's being sung here in Revelation chapter 11, as the yeah. praise is given to the Lord God Almighty, who has taken power and begun to reign. But then in verse 18, we start to get a hint of, if again, if we're supposed to think of this in terms of connected to the third woe in any way... Verse eighteen perhaps gives us some of those connections. So the nations raged. Talk about what's. Why are the nations raging?
1: Well, the nations are raging in Psalm two, uh, because they are they're not the ones, you know. They they, they realize God is the one is under control, um, and there's this great battle, if you will, that that is uh, between the secular powers and authorities, maybe some of that the devil's powers and authorities working through those secular. Powers as well, uh, and that's been symbolized in Ezekiel and then later on here in Revelation too. That Gog Magog battle, Armageddon, you know, coming coming to, to to play. But that's this is all symbols. These are things that are going on right now in the great struggle, you know, that the the between the church and and all these principalities and powers. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood, Paul writes in Ephesians. Uh, but this is also uh, the final, tri- but, but the, the inevitable and final triumph over all those all those powers uh, is, is that God will, will put the raging of the nations to rest. There's the, they, they are not the ones who have all the kingdom, the power, and the glory.
0: Mm. And so the, the nations raged, but God put it into that with his wrath. So your wrath came yeah. and the time for the dead to be judged. Talk about God's wrath and the, the dead being judged.
1: The, the day of wrath, the diasaria, the, the um, so yeah, there's every passage in the Bible where Old Testament judgment is being taken out, and and sometimes not uh, not just against the nations, but God even on the, His own people when they have gone to idolatry and the ways of these other nations. Um, that that day of wrath. I think the way that the one, it comes to its height in certain parts of the world's history. In the days of Noah, for instance, uh, when the world is destroyed, when the first temple, Solomon's temple, is destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar, that is a day of wrath. When God's children go into exile away from their home, that's a day of wrath. That's judgment for sin being brought upon them. Uh, People were probably thinking of that, I'm sure, at the very least. You know, when the day that Jesus predicted came to pass, when you see these signs, the abomination that causes desolation, get out of town, get out of Jerusalem. Other, because the same thing is going to happen with the Romans. Uh, and, and there's that was again, you know, judgment. Uh, and, and, and uh, but not, none so uh, profound a judgment, though, than on that day of wrath that was Good Friday, when all of the world sinned. Or was born as Peter writes in his body on the tree and that ultimate day of wrath is when Jesus became the curse for you and for me uh, and and God's wrath passed us over uh, you know and, 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 uh, and we are the, the so we are saved from that but then just like in the days of Noah where there's some people in the ark and so many that are not, uh, that day of wrath is meted out on all the enemies, the, the enemy agents of the devil, and all those those powers and principalities that thought that they were in control, uh, but now is that that time of punishment. I mean, this is hard. You have to face this though, because this is in the this is part of the Bible, and I don't like to be to think about anybody, even people who tell lies about me, who you know are 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 against the church, you know, who who say that we Christians are all. Keeping the 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 you know the IQ of the country back because we want to accept things on faith and not on science and you know all those different things that are there. I don't I don't want them to be punished. You know I don't yeah. want to see anybody suffer, um, but sometimes people live with the choices that they make in life. And there's there's one of the 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 books that I think that have helped instruct me as a pastor and how I counsel people and talk to people about hell. Uh, and, and, uh, and judgment and things like that, is, is a book by C.S. Lewis called uh, The Great Divorce. Because that talks about, you know, choices and, and how we can hang on and, you know, it, to things in this world, hang on to grudges, hang on to different things that are not God. Uh, and, 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 whereas God has all this joy, all this wonder that, that is part of his plan for, for the, 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 you know, his children. Um, so you know, I, th- I think about that that divide, that chasm. But and it's that's the, I, P, there may be some Christians there that that want to just paper over that and and say, well, that does, you know, that's not what's important. And and ultimately, you know, what's important is the victory that we have received. But I think help it, it helps us face the realities of there's evil in this world, knowing that that evil will ultimately be dealt with.
0: Yes, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And I think what you were saying about the, you know, this isn't, we don't desire that, that someone would go to hell. Per- perhaps that helps us, again, with the thought of the, the third woe, if we're supposed mm. to understand it here, that the, the reason that this trumpet sounds the way it does and doesn't sound like a woe is because this is what God desires. This, And I'm glad you brought up Good Friday. Because the way that we are saved from God's wrath is through the wrath of God poured out on Jesus on Good Friday. Because that's what God desires, is to save sinners. And and so he wants this third, If again, if, if we're supposed, I know that's an if, but if we're supposed to think of this as part of the third woe, God wants to save sinners from his wrath. And that's why he put Jesus under his wrath in mm. our place. And so in the seventh trumpet then, we get, a, we get to see a picture of what God desires, that he desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth and to spend eternity with him, praising him like we're hearing here. He doesn't desire that the nations would rage against him and that they would fall under his, his judgment on the last day. If that's what they end up choosing, then they do receive this as the third woe. But it's not what God desired for them. They're not there because he wanted that. They are there because they chose that. And here he gives us that glimpse of what he actually does want, which is this eternal salvation for for all mankind. And since this isn't the end of the book of Revelation yet, <laughs> then this serves as that, you know, continued call to repentance and faith
1: in Christ. Amen. And, and I, God doesn't want that. And the evidence of that is that interlude that came before yeah. the trumpet, the the angel, met, the, the everlasting gospel. Yeah. that is meant to be proclaimed to every people nation and tribe that's you and me today that's what we're doing right now putting this over the airwaves I guess you know that that getting that gospel message out uh, so that people can avoid that day of wrath and accept the the trumpet as a day of joy.
0: yeah that's right so the the again it there the nations raged your wrath came the time for the dead to be judged. This is the the judgment. Jesus talks about this in what, Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. Talk a little bit more about the the dead being judged.
1: Yeah, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised. And Daniel also talks about the books being opened in Daniel chapter 7. You know, the day that uh, there's that judgment, uh, he will come to judge the living and the dead, or the quick and the dead, if you prefer the, <laughs> the old... Uh, uh, hymnal version of that or the old uh, text of the Apostles Creed um, and who is there the small and the great doesn't matter who you are <laughs> you know you're, you're you're all a part of uh, this this people uh, and uh, you know the, the highest ruler to the lowest slave is there before that throne of judgment um, yeah this and and and, and uh, there when the books are opened
0: so before we get to the small and great, talk a little bit about the the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, those who fear your name. The the language of rewarding sometimes makes us a little bit uncomfortable, mm. but the scriptures do speak this way. What, what, is that, what does that mean, the rewarding of your servants, and particularly those who are named? Prophets, saints, those who fear your name.
1: The first one that comes to mind is Jeremiah, who got thrown into a well. Man, if anybody deserved a reward, you know, it's like... And, and, and think of all the prophets who were faithful up until losing their life for, for, for the message that God had given to them to, to present to the world. Um, and again, this is meant as a comfort. It's not meant, I don't think, I guess we're Christians, where I've seen this go really wrong, is where uh, then all of a sudden there's speculation about what kind of reward did this? These prophets over here who did it—they get a greater reward than these people over here, and I'm—I'm going to get the bigger mansion than this. You know, <laughs> you start comparing, and that's a—I right. don't think that's what the Holy Spirit means for us to do. You right. know, so I think it's—I think when we hear reward, we're not. It, it, I mean, yes, there is there is something about being faithful, but why are we faithful? Because we have first received. That ever we know that everlasting reward is us. We know about that sin, death, and the devil does not have the last say because we know that. But then we go out and do these things in the world. Uh, so the doing of these things is not the reward. Right. Uh, the reward is for everybody who is who is at the beginning of the book of Revelation who endures to the end.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that connecting to the endurance to the end, and even the prophets being mentioned here, I think is significant. That endurance to the end the reward then is the a vindication that your, your trust in the Lord, though you couldn't see his reign all the time, your trust was right. And so he, he rewards that trust. He vindicates it. It's not, again, not for the sake of, of somehow getting the shiny prize or something like that, but this, this was the, you, you were right. And, and it, like that trust was, was rewarded. It didn't it wasn't disappointed hope does not put us to shame paul says in romans 5 that that's kind of the way i think we should understand this idea of being rewarded that that it, it it was the your trust was correct and god vindicates that on the last day yes what about that last part of this this song for destroying the destroyers of the earth what's what's that about
1: well i i just a reminder that this is the end so destroyers this is like a, a upper level uh, for video game players this is the boss battle <laughs> you know this is <laughs> this is this is this is this is this is ultimate uh this is like like i said that god may god kind of uh battle you know people who and it, it, it's interesting how if we're thinking about sin corrupting the world how it does corrupt even in god's creation um so just to, to keep that in mind, I, I, I imagine that there may be some, and I don't, I haven't heard this or seen this, but when you see destroyers of the world, you may be thinking environmental concerns, which are good. I mean, we we need to be good stewards of our creation, but I don't think we incur this level of judgment for, for getting the recycle, or you know, doing doing something along those lines. But but those are the, those are sins that we need to confess and and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Uh, whenever the, the environment is exploited, polluted, wasted, you know, those are bad things, and, and that's not in, in line with God's plan. But that's not the level we're talking here. Those are everyday sins, and this is like the end-of-the-world kind of destroyers uh, that God is judging.
0: Hmm. So after the conclusion of this part of the heavenly Te Deum, in verse 19, the end of the seventh trumpet, God's temple in heaven was opened opened. So talk just about the temple being opened because I think there's a connection here to what we saw in right before the, the two witnesses and part of that interlude that we've been talking about.
1: Yeah I mentioned that the, the that interlude was more on earth than in heaven but sometimes these things overlap and just get messy. Uh so this could be in, in heaven as well but there's a measuring of the temple. John becomes an active participant. Instead of just receiving the vision, he's told to go measure that temple. And the dimensions are holy. I mean, they're meant to to say this is perfection, and and this is part of God's design and his plan. His design and plan from beginning to end is for there not to be this separation that came about because of sin, Uh, to, to be walking in the garden again, and the cool of the day, and, uh, and, and for, for, for the, the God and, and the people to be one, for, for us to be united. and for uh, What does the Gospel of John say? This is another theme that's in John's Gospel, I think is in Revelation 2. He came down and, and tabernacled yeah. with us. He dwelt with us when he's talking about the Word becoming flesh. Uh, and God tabernacling with his people, dwelling with his people, that's a motif all throughout the Bible. Uh, you know, it was a, a beginning with the design that God gives to Moses for the for the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, uh, where, where, where the, the, the glory of God would dwell and Moses would intercede for the people. Uh, and then that traveled with them in all their wilderness wanderings. And then finally, Solomon builds the temple and it's, <laughs> we get the, the instance of holy smoke <laughs> is, uh, when, the, when, the, when the offerings are offered and then the, the, the smoke fills the, uh, the temple and so forth. And and even after that temple is destroyed, the glory of God is always referring. What I find uh, so the Re- book of Revelation draws a lot of from these Old Testament images, especially in the prophets. Daniel is mentioned pr- prominently, but also Ezekiel. Ezekiel is the, like there's is all over Revelation, a- and he is the prophet who is giving a word to God's people right at that moment when the temple is destroyed. He sees the glory departing. But then at the end of his book, he sees the glory coming back when he's describing God's glory at the very beginning. Well, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead to the, the earthquakes and the lightnings and everything. But, but, but that glory of God dwelling with the people, that is the, a theme, a motif all throughout the, 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 the Bible. Um, and that's ultimately where we're going is where that is, is fulfilled, is perfected.
0: So when the temple is opened, the Ark of the Covenant is seen within the temple. Now talk to about talk about the significance of this.
1: Yeah, cue the theme for Raiders of the Lost exactly. Ark. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. The, the Ark of the
0: Covenant is not in a government warehouse somewhere. Right.
1: <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> likely, very likely, it was destroyed either by an Egyptian pharaoh or King Nebuchadnezzar. There's, there's a reference to the Egyptians sacking the temple in 1st Kings and Nebuchadnezzar and 2nd Kings. Uh, and uh, or there's this legend. I, I was looking in the book of Second Maccabees chapter two. Now, Maccabees, for the, the listeners, to understand, that's in the there are these books that, that happen between the Old and New Testament. They're called the Apocrypha. They don't have the same level of authority as the Bible. But as Martin Luther once said, they're they're good. They're, they're not they're edifying to read. Uh, we don't we don't necessarily base any doctrines or teachings on them, but they're they're uh, they sometimes shed light on what was going on among God's people between uh, the 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 time of the 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 second temple was built and then the time of Jesus. Um, so in Maccabees, there's this it gives words to the legend that Jeremiah uh, uh, hid the ark and I guess the altar of incense as well in the in a in a cave at somewhere in Mount Nebo. Uh, yeah so yeah, and then when he was asked and I have it here when he was asked to um, to where it was you know he he chastised uh the people you know and and said no it'll be hidden until it'll remain unknown until God gathers his people together again and shows his mercy hmm. Hmm. God gathers his people again isn't that what's you know that, that's an interesting connection that we see the Ark of the Covenant in this vision, right at the moment where the nations are being judged and the dead are being judged, and God is doing just that. He's gathering His people.
0: Mm. I think the the Ark of the Covenant here also serves as a connection to Good Friday. As I, we were talking about, you know, you, you brought up Good Friday, and I think the Ark of the Covenant and its use on the, on the Day of Atonement, there we go, yeah. I think that we should connect this to Good Friday in some way.
1: Well, God dwelling with his people, how, what, so the, Good Friday, the veil of the temple was torn in two. There was that separation between God and the people, uh, uh, where only the high priest was able to go behind that veil and sprinkle the blood of a bull on the mercy seat, on the Ark of the Covenant there, uh, and pray uh, and intercede on behalf of the people for their sin. Well, now, it's the blood of Jesus, the book, the writer of Hebrews can, makes that connection that Jesus has gone into that holy of Holies. Um, whenever I do a first communion class or confirmation class, you know, where we're talking about how we receive communion, I always point out the the altar furniture <laughs> and the arrangement of our sanctuary. I said this is done intentionally. There's a railing here, usually where we go up for communion. And that's to remind us of that big curtain that that used to separate us. Well, now there is no longer that separation. Jesus, with his blood on us, we are allowed to go into that most holy place uh, for there not to be that separation. However, we're still sinful people. We still cannot stand in the presence of a a holy God as we are right now. But there will come that day uh, when the trumpet sounds, when the dead are raised, and we see god face to face and and then there i mean there then there ultimately well, well that that final curtain goes away and we, and we finally are able to uh to stand before god and his judgment throne and not be wiped out <laughs> not be judged but be to receive the salvation of our uh to 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 receive his love and grace and to know our lord for all eternity
0: hmm. got about two minutes here, Pastor Jago. So talk to us about the flashes of lightning, rumblings, thunder, earthquake, heavy hail, and help us to wrap things up with the seventh trumpet this morning.
1: All right. Well, flash, uh, the flashes of lightning and so forth were there at Mount Sinai, and always it's a symbol for the presence of God's glory. And I mentioned the, uh, Ezekiel's call. He mentions exactly those things when he sees the heavenly throne, uh, and God there calling him to his prophetic office to, to proclaim uh, God's word. Um, and that's the, the seven trumpets are, I mean, a trumpet proclaims, it dem- it's, demands your attention, something's happening. Hear this word that's being presented to you. Um, and while the other trumpets pronounce these, uh, the, the first four, very reminiscent of the Egyptian plagues, the last two, supernatural almost, but and starting these epic woes uh, upon people. And this last woe, is, is certainly a woe for those people that think that the power belongs uh, to the the, 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 the the sin, death, and the devil. Uh, you know, the, the, those, those things, are, and the last enemy to be destroyed, is death. Uh, all things are put under our Lord's feet. He takes the honor, the power, and the glory. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And uh, that vision that we read today, I hope has us going out from this broadcast singing, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen.
0: Amen. Hallelujah. Pastor Andrew Jago is pastor at Bethany Lutheran Church in Alexandria, Virginia. He has been helping us today to study Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 to 19. Pastor Jago, thanks for being our guest today.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Revelation chapter 11, the seventh trumpet particularly, please send an email to KFUO at KFUO.org. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.